Hi Loft friends, I am not at Loft tonight, so tonight we're glad to welcome Pastor Dirk Van Eyck from Encounter Church. I've known Dirk since he was in high school, and he's a dear friend, I sang at his wedding, and he is a great preacher, so we're really glad to have him. Where am I, you might ask? Well, I am in Rome. celebrating our fifth anniversary with a great trip and we're having a lot of fun and I hope you have a great worship service. Well, hey, everybody. As, uh, as Pastor Mary said, uh, my name is Dirk Van Eyck. I'm the, uh, the, the pastor at Encounter Church. Do we got some people at Encounter? Four of you, like... Five, I think. Six. Awesome. Yes. Sweet. I, yeah, that's awesome. What, uh, what Pastor Mary didn't, uh, didn't mention there <clears throat> is a couple things. Encounter is probably best known because we're the church that will, will pay for your Uber to get to church and back because that's how much we care about college students coming to church. Um, what else she didn't mention is that Pastor Mary like, like literally taught me how to preach. Like I took her class, intermediate preaching at seminary when she was a communications professor there. And so, and so tonight, if this doesn't go well, like you know where to find her, Okay. <laughs> And I want to warn you, I want to tell you that it might not go well, because what we're going to do here tonight, and what I hope to do, and what I've been praying about, and what, what I hope that God shows you, is that we're just about to maybe, in the most beautiful, delightful way possible, is to, is to wreck the Christmas story for you, and to maybe hear it through some new eyes, all right, because there's probably some people here tonight that maybe grew up in church, maybe you didn't, and that's awesome, we love you, you're probably in the best place to hear this story tonight, maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you heard this Christmas story a hundred times, maybe you're a missionary's kid or a, or a pastor's kid like mine are, and, and maybe you heard this story not a hundred times, maybe it was a thousand times before, but tonight we're going to hear it, baby, for you a thousand and one times because we're going to go there in Luke chapter 2 tonight. I think you've got some Bibles in your chairs. Um, wish I could help you out with a, with a page number. But Luke chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is too far. Acts, Romans, the funny pronouncing ones, those are way too far. 8.32? Thank you so much. I was just going to keep talking until someone shouted it out, so way to get us there early. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to skip around a little bit. If you really want to follow along, we're going to be reading some Genesis and some, uh, and some Judges. I'm sorry, and some Ruth as well. So, um, but, but like right now, Luke chapter 2, just read the first, uh, first seven verses. It says this. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee and Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem. Now, if you're a note-taking kind of person, or if these are your Bibles that you're taking home, like, like circle that one, because we're going to spend some time talking about that city there of Bethlehem. They went to Bethlehem because, after all, Joseph, he was descended from the house and the family of David, and Bethlehem is the city of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. As I said before, 
We're going to spend some time, we're going to land on that city of Bethlehem. And when I say that, we're going to try to hopefully wreck this Christmas story in the most beautiful way possible. It's about that city of Bethlehem that we want to talk a little bit more about. Because, because oftentimes we hear about the city of Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is like, it's the little town of Bethlehem, and we're going to sing that song, and it's this quiet, and it's this peaceful, and it's this tranquil little town that, that's just absolutely delightful and perfect and has it all together. It's, it's like the image of the Christian life that maybe you've been told, where, where everything just fits neatly into a little package. And, and it's just perfect everywhere around. That's, that's Bethlehem. It's like this Thomas Kincaid-esque little town. Except for it wasn't, though. I mean, it was after God saved it, after God did something with it. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But when, but when this was written, when Luke is writing down to his hearers, and Matthew to his hearers, and he goes, you wouldn't believe where this guy was born. You wouldn't believe where Jesus came from. Did you hear the news that Jesus... The Savior, the Messiah, God, was born in Bethlehem. And it's like, no, wait a second. Bethlehem. You know the first time, this is how bad it's going to get. Bethlehem is a city of grief. Bethlehem is a city, it's it's a city of, of loss. Bethlehem is a city of scarcity, of poverty, of not enough. Bethlehem is a city, it's a city of shame. The the very first time that Bethlehem is mentioned in the Bible, it's mentioned in Genesis chapter 35. The very first time. And I'll tell you, it's not because great things are happening there. The first time that Genesis is mentioned, or that Bethlehem is mentioned, Genesis chapter 35, 19 and 20. Let me just just read it for you. The, The story picks up, and Jacob, who was renamed Israel... Has been, has been struggling through life. His brother has been trying to kill him. His uncle has tricked him. He, he's, now, he's now limping along because, because he physically, literally wrestled with God and, and God dislocated his hip and it never quite healed right. And, and, so he's, and so he's carrying along. He's limping along and now his favorite wife, you heard that, this is not a neat, tidy story. His favorite wife, Rachel, is just about to deliver their, their 12th son together. He's, he's going to be named Benjamin. And at the time when he should be at one of the happiest moments of his life because now she's going to have another child. They're going to have another son. And they're, and they're traveling along, and he's an old man, and he's limping along. And we get to Genesis chapter 35, and it says, 19, Rachel died. In delivery, Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. That, that is, of course, that city we're talking about tonight, Bethlehem. And over her tomb... Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Jacob set up a pillar, and today that pillar marks his favorite wife's tomb. And as the story of Genesis continues, and as the story of Jacob continues, we never revisit Bethlehem, and I, I, don't, I don't know why. This is just Dirk's thoughts. This is my speculations. But I think it was the fact that Jacob couldn't go back to that place. Jacob couldn't go back to that, to that tomb. He couldn't go back to that pillar that he set up. He couldn't go back to Bethlehem because Bethlehem for Jacob represented grief. Bethlehem wasn't a city for Jacob. Bethlehem was a season of loss. And the story tells us as we finish it out, 
Verse 20, it says that Jacob set up a pillar. And verse 21 starts off, and Israel moved on. Jacob buried his wife after she gave birth to his last son. And Israel moved on. It's almost like there was a part of Jacob that died and was buried with his wife that day. And he would not get over. Bethlehem, it wasn't just a city. It was a season of loss, a season of grief. But as if that's not bad enough, it's, it's almost like the, the storytellers of the Bible just, just kept heaping more on this city of Bethlehem. The, the, the book of Ruth, if you want to go there, the book of Ruth starts off. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It's, just, it's the first line, first chapter, first verse of the book of Ruth. And it starts off that in those days, that in the days of when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and so a man from Bethlehem, you guessed it, and so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to go live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, now what, what kills them about this is that the word Bethlehem is a Hebrew word that this was written in, the language that this story was written in was in Hebrew, and Bethlehem literally translated Bethlehem, which means the, the house of bread. And, and so the story of Ruth begins, hey everybody, that there is a famine in the house of bread. The, the pantry of Bethlehem is now empty and closed. I mean, the, the irony of that that the house of bread would not be enough, that the house of bread would turn into a place of, of poverty, that the house of bread is now a place of, of not enough, of, of scarcity. But, but on top of that, in addition to that, that Bethlehem was also a place within God's borders, within his country, within that, that promised land that we heard about earlier. And so the man had to move on. He had to move away to Moab. He had to go to a place over the river. He had to go to a place that was not his people. He had to go to a place that was his sworn enemies because at least there, at least pretending to fit in there, he could have something to eat because after all, if God isn't going to take care of him in the house of bread, he'll have to make his own way. And so for him now, and for the story of Ruth starting off, Bethlehem now, not just being a city, Bethlehem now is a, is a sea season of not enough is a season of scarcity is a season of poverty and if you just give me one more story of Bethlehem and this one is the worst of all in fact uh, I had a friend one time he uh, he took a he took a position working for a church it was a little country church kind of out there little town and uh, it was a little church in a not-so-big town, and so the church decided to call themselves Bethlehem Church because it's cute, right, <laughs> because it's quaint. And so he decides, as a way to endear myself to the, uh, to the congregation that I'm now going to serve, I'm going to do a, a sermon series on the book of, or on, the, on all the places in the Bible that, that Bethlehem is mentioned, except for <laughs> he quickly abandoned that one after he got to this story. 
I figure I'm much more brash than, than he is, so I'm like, we're going to push on through this. I'm going to do it, okay, buddy? And I'll let you know how it goes. He's like, let me, let me know how. I got there, and I got to this story that I'm just about to tell you. And listen, friends, I have never redacted the word of God before, but as I was like getting there in that church where I served, like we put the words on the screen, and, I got, and I'm like, I cannot say these things in front of like children in my church. But I figure I can say them in front of, in front of you all. No, I'm not actually going to. I'm just going to tell the story. Uh, if you want to go there, if you want to find it, it comes from Judges uh, chapter 25 and, and, and then 26, a little bit. It's like rounding out the book. If you know anything about the book of Judges, it's just like a death spiral. And this is the bottom. Like this, it doesn't get any worse than that. The story picks up and it just says, hey, there was once a Levite. There was once a Levite and a concubine. And they were traveling along, and it's like, wait a second, some alarm bells are going off right now because, because Levites are the priestly class, right? Levites are the pastors. Levites are the, Levites are the people that are trying to keep the spiritual pulse of the nation of Israel in check. That's what a Levite is all about. And now he says, and he, he brought his concubine. And it's like, concubine is like a mistress. Concubine is like this long-standing affair. It's something like in between the mistress and, and a wife. But, but it's just, it's out in the open, which is kind of a problem, right? For, for this pastor, priest, Levite guy to just like bringing his concubine. That's not the bad part of the story. But, but they go to a place where she's from. She's from Bethlehem, of course. Because Bethlehem is this, and, and sorry, Bethlehem is this God-forsaken place where almost nothing good happens, right? Bethlehem, she's from Bethlehem, so they go to Bethlehem, and some guys come, and some guys knock on the door, and some guys surround the place, and some guys start asking for him to come out, and some guys start demanding now, now for him to, to come out, and then he does something incredible, right? He does something incredible because he's a, he's a priest and he's supposed to help people meet God. And, and he does one of the most unpriestly like things. He takes his concubine and they're demanding him. He takes and he and he sends her outside. Here, take her, spare me. Which, if you think about it, it's bad on a lot of levels. And we don't need to dissect this thing too much. But if you think about it, it's the exact opposite of what the gospel intends, right? Because what the gospel intends is for Jesus to step into that situation and say, no, 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 take me and spare them. That's Jesus, but that's, that's what our high priest does, amen? Right? No, that was, okay, we're going to work on that. But that was, the Levite does the exact opposite of that, and he says, take her, spare me, and they do. And they hurt her until morning. And they take her now lifeless body and they lay it on the doorstep of the house. And you think that's as bad as it gets. And it wasn't. Because then the Levite took her body and he divided it into 12 pieces for the 12 tribes of Israel and he packaged it. And this is not a PG or PG-13 story, the Bible. This is not family-friendly, but he took those pieces and he sent them to the 12 tribes of Israel as a simple way of saying, no, this is as bad as we get. 
And by the way, the, the book of Judges ends there with these daunting lines simply that in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's as bad as it gets. That's Bethlehem. Now what's interesting about, those, about that story is that commentators later would write about it and say the interesting thing, the, the, the odd thing, is that nobody in the story got a name. Like, like nobody in the story, it was a Levite, it was a concubine, it was some men. Like nobody got a name in the story except, of course, Bethlehem is named now, now it, it's, it's almost as if, it's almost as if the author of the story knows, like, no one person, no single family could, could like, could bear the, the weight of the shame of this story on their backs. And so, and so, and so the author, like, doesn't, doesn't put it on anybody because, because it would just crush that whole family. It's, it's almost as if it was too much shame to bear, except Bethlehem, of course, is, is dragged into it. And so, like, guys, I, I just try, I try to put this together, and I'm thinking... Luke chapter 2, the Jesus story, it's Christmas time. In those days, right, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and, and Jesus was born. As they all went down to the town of David to register the city of Bethlehem. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. The hearers of that story are like, ouch, Bethlehem? God, Bethlehem? I mean, you, there has got to be another way. I can imagine literally any other way. God, you don't want to go to this God-forsaken place called Bethlehem. Nothing good happens. Nothing good comes out. You don't want to go to Bethlehem. Bad stuff happens there. God could have, this is what gets me, is that God could have done anything imaginable. God could have done more than what's imaginable as a way to break into this world that he had, he had created and is now stepping into. He he could have chose to take the skies along the seams and just rip it open and come down on a white horse with a scepter and a gold crown. This is how I think, right? This is if I'm running things, that's how I'm jumping in there, right? I mean, this is going to be amazing. God could have broken it. Jesus could have done that, but he didn't. For the life of me, like, I don't get God decides to break into the world that he made through a scared unmarried, pregnant, teenage girl in Bethlehem, sleeping far from home. Why Bethlehem? If you remember nothing out of anything that I said today, I hope you'll remember this. It's because God likes to tell redemptive stories. God likes to take those places in this world, and God likes to take those seasons that you have gone through, 
And God likes to take those things and to tell a redemptive story with it. God likes to go into those places that are God-forsaken towns where nothing good happens and God says, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not finished with you yet because I've got a story to tell with you yet. And one day, and one day people around are going to be gathered in a circle, hundreds of them at a time, maybe at times thousands or ten thousands, and they're all going to gather around in a circle and they're going to sing about about that little town of Bethlehem because God loves telling a redemptive story and Bethlehem makes for a hugely redemptive story. You think death is bad in Bethlehem? You think burying somebody is bad in Bethlehem? And God says, listen, what if I told you that death isn't the last word? What if I told you that this wasn't the end? What if I told you that life goes on even after death? What if I told you that Jesus, that Jesus faced death down, eyeball to eyeball, and then he beat it by rising again from the dead? And so that every time we think of Bethlehem, we don't think of death, we think of eternal life. God loves telling a redemptive story. God is telling redemptive stories all the time. God is telling a redemptive story by a young girl in her 20s taking three bottles of pills, antidepressants and anti-anxiety pills, just wanting to end it all, just wanting to be done with it because it's too much. And God is telling a redemptive story to say, no, no, I'm not finished yet. And God uses her to become a counselor to make sure that nobody else has to experience what she has experienced, at least not alone. God is telling a redemptive story by a guy sitting in my office, sitting down and saying, Dirk, I'm three days, I'm three days away from leaving my wife and kids. And God is saying, I'm not finished with you yet. And he wasn't, as they're still married today. Still married today, still committed today, and now he's leading other guys to talk about how to best love and how to best respect their wives. God is a God who loves telling redemptive stories. He's telling redemptive stories by that young man or that young woman coming to me and said, I have been in the grips of this addiction to pornography for just too long, and I'm this close, I'm this close from experiencing an entirely incapable incapacity to experience human intimacy with another another person, a close with another person and I'm almost just lost it entirely and God has clawed me back into the grips of his arms and of his loves into an accountability group into a support group that I am now leading other men and other women out of that same addiction because friends what is it God tells redemptive stories he did with Bethlehem And he will with you. But if I could just say one more thing. It's that like looking around, and I would have hated this when I was in your seat, because I went here too. But looking around, and there's like a lot of 18 to 22 college students in the room. I know, Captain Obvious. But... (laughs) If I could just speak from somebody, just maybe one more step along. Not too far, but one more step. And and say, here's the thing. 
like those Bethlehem seasons that we're talking about, those seasons of grief, those seasons of loss, those seasons of poverty, those seasons of scarcity, those seasons of shame. Like looking around the room, most of your time is, is, is ahead of you. It's not like that for everybody. Some people are looking in the rear view now, but for most of you tonight, you're looking ahead. And that's awesome and that's exciting. And if you could make it through exam week, it's going to be even more exciting. You're looking ahead, and I love that. But I also know, I also know from being just a little bit further down that road that for a lot of you looking around, those Bethlehem seasons, those valley moments are probably ahead of you yet. Is that your deepest pain and your deepest grief may still be coming. So when you enter that Bethlehem season, when you have to, when you have to bury someone that you love, or, or when you have to choose between rent or groceries, or when your shame and your brokenness it is now being paraded in front of everybody that you love and, and in front of everybody that, that doesn't love you. I want you to remember the Bethlehem story. I want you to say this is a Bethlehem season. And God tells redemptive stories he did with Bethlehem and then I want you to say and he will with me too 